for the Faith FM Breakfast Show with your hosts, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome, everybody. You're listening on 87.6, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM net- network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and Lawson, and we are having a special shout-out this morning to all of our listeners in Maitland on 87.6. I built that transmitter. Uh, Latrobe, Tasmania on 88.0 and Bowen, Queensland also on 87.6. Amazing. Yes. Shout out Maitland. Oh, yeah. Go Maitland. I've lived there before. I spent time there. How awesome is Maitland? It's fantastic. Great shirts there. That's right. It's it's kind of on the outskirts. You know, it's not quite Newcastle, but it can be part of our family. It's just better than Newcastle. That's all it is. Lyle, this re- th- th- it's one of the fastest growing areas in New South Wales. There's a reason for that. <laughs> because the housing because is affordable. Because because it's better. <laughs> it's just be- better. Because they've started. There's to- an awesome church there in Maitland. Wait, wait, Big no, no, shout no, no, out no, no, to no. the Adventist <laughs> Church in Maitland. Lyle, for a number of years. It's the fastest growing place in Australia because they've decided to uh, build houses on floodplains that go for cheap. No, they are not building houses on floodplains. <laughs> you can buy historic homes that are on floodplains, but they are not building houses on floodplains. What are we going to do with you? I don't know. Lawson, I, yeah, I love it. True. Everybody in Maitland is a... I, Maitland, I, has, Maitland has given you so much. It has. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. You're listening to Jill Parquet Dizwan. That's right. There's a name right there. She writes some of my favourite songs ever. Shout out her. That was Tis So Sweet. That's right. She has an interesting name and, and it might like indicate it's like, oh, she's actually, she's pretty obscure, but she's fantastic. Let's have our first question for the quiz today. In the parable of the one lost sheep. Where were the other 99 sheep left while the shepherd went to find the last one that was lost? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go into the draw to win our amazing prizes for this week. Keywords of the Christian faith. I have a future and he comes by Rainer Bruinsma. That last book there, he comes. This faith-affirming book on the second coming from Dr. Rainer Bruinsma makes a wonderful companion to his book Resurrection to the Resurrection I Have a Future. So the one we were the other book that we're giving away here. While many books on the second coming focus on the time of trouble, a likely timeline of end time events and the identity of the persecuting powers, Bruinsma takes a look 
at the fundamentals, at the fact that Jesus is coming back for us, at the signs showing us the nearness of Christ's return and the manner of his coming, at how we should be living in the meantime. So, again, 0491-064-669 is the number to call. I was just reading a bit of the description there of an amazing book that I really feel like books on the second coming of Jesus could not be more relevant to our lives because obviously every day that goes by, we're getting closer and closer. But it is very clear that it is happening soon. But again, that question was, in the parable of the one lost sheep, where were the other 99 sheep left while the shepherd went to find the one that was lost? 0491-064-669. All right. Let's jump into our positively different news this morning. Okay, Lyle, I really, really love stories that come out of someone studying at university and they come across some kind of thing and make some kind of invention and as a result they're seeing success from it. I have a real heart for uni students, particularly international students who leave their homes to study in other countries and very much succeed, which is, this is what this next story is essentially about. So there is this woman, her name is Sung Yuji, which I wonder, Lyle, can you guess what country she's from by that name? Sung Yuji? Korea. No. China. Yes. I knew it would be one of those two. Yeah. The first name led me towards Korea. The, That's the right. last name led me towards China. That's right. It's the last name. It's interesting because Korean names would be like, like Sung Yu. That's her first name. Yes. But that would be her last name because they put their last name first. Yes. But then she is like definitely like it's XI. Very, that's, uh-huh. that's Chinese. Yes. It's very much Chinese. But. This lady, she is a University of Cincinnati grad student and has invented an adjustable scoliosis brace that has basically taken a piece of technology that has been the same since the 1950s and well, updated very little other than made now made out of plastic and has basically just 21st century-ized it. It's amazing. One of the things she was really going for is with scoliosis braces that exist on the market today, they're quite big, they're quite heavy, and they're quite bulky. And scoliosis being a disease, you know, of the messing with the curvature of the spine that happens mostly in prepubescent teenagers, it's treated by putting a brace on, which is something that no teenager wants to do, right? Especially the braces that we have to treat scoliosis, which are these big bulky braces. And I personally know multiple people with scoliosis who actively don't wear the brace because they're like, ah, it's so big and bulky. It's too much of a hassle. I'm just going to leave it off, which is just such a teenager thing and not even a teenager thing. It's just something that I feel like a lot of people do, including myself. Like I, when I broke my foot a month ago, I was keen as to get out of my brace like as soon as possible. I was walking. Yeah, like, I do just... remember that, Lawson. I do remember this. And uh, as soon as the, the like, I, when I was meeting with my physio, I'm like, oh, can I get out of the brace? He's like, oh yeah, it seems like it's about time. I'm like, okay, I'm taking it off. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm, I'm ripping that mm. thing off because because no one wants to wear braces, even though they're good for us. But this is the thing. This is what this lady has seen. Scoliosis is very much a long-term 
curvature of the spine disease that develops in young people that they need to do extensive long-term treatment to solve is there any way that we can make the treatment which is part of it's wearing a back brace any easier any any easier for these young people and she solved that by creating a brace that is called the airy so essentially this is a brace made of air it's not it's not made of air but it's transparent and translucent and the padding and whatnot is very thin and small and can basically fit under your clothes right uh furthermore not only can it fit under your clothes like if you're wearing a jumper or something you can just chuck it underneath yes not only can it fit under your clothes um but also comes with an inbuilt uh app which can track and sense the curvature of your spine which then feeds information back to your physician who is looking after you and can give you uh, so your physician can stay on your stay on your case if you take it off but your physician can also give you real time advice on the way that the brace is adjusted based on the sensors that they have and tell you what you need to do but yeah, stay on your case, basically. Yeah. But this is this is an amazing story. Again, this lady, she's a grad student, she's in uni, she's getting her masters done, and being that she's researching in the in this field, she has actioned it and said, Oh, well, I want to build something, I want to help people. And she's come up with honestly a a product which could I, I could see very soon just being bought out by the government and like yeah. Um, distributed throughout the wider health system, well, in the United States and around the world as well, which is incredible. Again, this lady, she's just an exchange student from China. She's in the United States by herself, getting it done. And uh, I'm like, I'm so impressed. And now she's won like a number of awards because of this. She won the James Dyson Award. Obviously, like people have seen this and gone, wow, this is an amazing invention, an amazing breakthrough uh, for the future of scoliosis treatment. And uh, she's just pumping the money back into like you get, you know, money with all these prizes and awards that you win for research. And she's just pumping the money back into, oh, hey, well, now I'm going to hire a machine learning guy to make the AI better of the app that tracks your your back. And I'm going to hire some people to uh, basically work on the design with me because this is just something that I came up with myself and we can expand the design and, and come up with something even better to have a better product that we can then use to help treat this disease. I'm like, from all sides, this is an amazing story. This is. is an awesome success story of a student. This is an amazing success story of something that will help millions of people. Because even if, like my life, I know so many people who have scoliosis, like compared to what I, how many people I would think have scoliosis. Like it's, it's everywhere. So many people are struggling with it. And I'm like, well, if we can just chuck braces on people that fits under your clothes... Ah, that's the best right there. It's like amazing. Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff. So, yeah, I was really impressed reading that story. And I was like, I just wanted to share it with you guys because amazing things happen in universities and, and people making breakthroughs and, and getting it done. So, yeah, this is very cool. Good news for everybody who's suffering from scoliosis. Really, really amazing. Finally, I want to talk about more, some more technology news. Now, it has been like, Probably one of the fields that's had the most breakthrough and kind of mainstream, I would say, uh, exposure in the last 10 years is probably the two biggest fields is like electric vehicles and 3D printing in the technology world. They've had the kind of the big breakout success where it's become feasible for 
the consumer to actually have some kind of interaction with that. And specifically with 3D printing, it's been something to now, like they've started to 3D print houses. Uh, from all the 3D printed houses that I've seen so far, basically they all look like boxes, you know, that are yes, pretty... Yes. Thin. They're like, yeah, we've got a sustainable 3D printed house and it's like a box. That's right. That looks like a demountable with like two rooms and something else. Yeah, and this is great stuff for people who are struggling with, you know, housing and, you know... That's right. Homeless people, that kind of thing. But I, I saw this this new 3D house that's won a bunch of awards. It's basically, they're calling it, it's called House Zero. It's a ranch house. It's like a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bathroom, like proper full-on house with design and curvature that takes like one-and-a-half weeks to build and the majority of the components are 3D printed. Right, so you basically download the software, hit Control P, enter. Yep, and a week and a half later, you have a house. You have a house. That's pretty cool. This is like this is the you know with all these technology, whether it's EVs, whether it's three D printing, it's always like oh yeah, okay, we can make a box or we can make a car that can drive two hundred kilometers. But you know, is this ever going to be practical? Is this ever going to be realistic? This is one step closer. This is a house that basically is the same as the house that I live in now, but three D printed and far cheaper to build and quicker to build. So really amazing stuff. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're about to head into serious news. We're going to talk about modern day slavery. Oh, that's intense. Yes, in Australia. In (laughs) Australia. Absolutely. We're going to talk about modern day slavery in Australia and how our government is enslaving us. Okay. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Let's, let's get into it. That is exciting. But before we do... We have a question <laughs> for the quiz. And it's not, we're not going... Okay, we're not going to get into conspiracy theories, just in case you're wondering. Okay. What vegetation, according to Jesus, is here today and tomorrow thrown into the oven? 0491-064-669. Again, we have our amazing... Awesome books, which we are giving away in our drawer at the end of the week by Rainer Bruinsma. Keywords to the Christian faith. I have a future, and he comes again. That name is zero. Uh, that number, sorry, is zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. And that question was: What vegetation, according to Jesus, is here today and tomorrow thrown into the oven? Okay, so uh, to kick this story off, we're going to begin by talking about a fierce debate that took place in the Senate last night here Mm -hmm. in Australia where the previous Liberal government had introduced a cashless card for welfare payments in areas of extreme substance abuse. And the purpose of this was to tackle malnutrition, uh, violence and domestic abuse. Mm. And so basically the situation was that people were dying of malnutrition because their money was either being spent on drugs or it was being given to relatives who would spend it on their addictions or it was being gambled away. And so like, okay, the the solution to this problem is we give them a card rather than giving them cash Mm -hmm. and they can use that card to buy groceries and all that kind of stuff. There's 20% there that they can use for discretionary spending, but 80% of it, we make sure it goes to things that are going to preserve life. Yeah, which, like, I know that something's going to go awry in this story, but I'll I'll say, like, I hear something like that, and I personally agree with it from the perspective that I haven't used cash in the last, like, forever. I don't even carry a wallet anymore. Uh, no, so, I haven't carried a wallet for probably 10 years or more. So, like, having no cash 
cool, whatever. But, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, also being able to yeah control the spending of those who are receiving government government help to get uh, off their feet. And the other great thing about this card was that it could only be used by the card holder. Mm. And so one of the problems is that when you've where you've got a culture where there is shared property and you don't have a high value on personal individual property people expect you to share and so if they've got an addiction they just keep coming to you taking all your money and then you end up um, suffering from malnutrition as a result of it whereas if it can only be spent by you then it protects from that okay so it's seen violence hospitalizations police activity the cost to the community plummet wow which is always the result of prohibition that's amazing it is The, the results have been fantastic are they perfect no they're not perfect but they have been good um, every sector of society, including education, has, you know, every productive sector of society has gone up as a result of this. That's amazing. And this is, okay, okay. So that's just to give you a little bit of perspective right there. Now, let's put, let's add some more perspective because alongside this, okay, where are we up to right now in the Northern Territory? Let's talk about the Northern Territory for a moment. Uh, the cost of gambling in the Northern Territory to society is $190 million a year. In the Northern Territory. Which has a population of 246,000 people compared to Newcastle, where the breakfast show comes from, population of 322,000 people. So the Northern Territory, which has a smaller population than Newcastle, is spending... $190 $190 million, well, it's costing them $190 million a year uh, with gambling. We haven't got to alcohol yet, which comes to $1.5 billion cost to society. And that's with 22,000 people on the cashless card already. So these are eye-watering figures. I'm like, my Lawson mouth is, is open. Lawson I am is just shocked. This is and okay. So why don't they just outlaw gambling to begin with? That's an easy one. That's low hanging fruit. That's just pass a piece of legislation. I'll tell you why they won't outlaw gambling. They won't outlaw gambling because of the taxes they are receiving on it, and because of those taxes, you are being enslaved. That is so. You're being enslaved by the government that refuses to do anything about gambling because they want your money. Mm. That's what it comes down to. This could be so easily solved. I remember growing up in a world where the only casino that existed in Australia was in Hobart, mm. Tasmania. Yeah, shout out Hobart. Anyway. So <laughs> the, shout uh, out Tasmania. <laughs> the, uh, those, those days are long gone. Okay, so going back to uh, last night's debate, the Labor government has decided to scrap the card. Get lost. Get, get uh, they, out. Uh, get Senator, get Sen- lost. Senator Penny Wong. You know it would come from her. Says the government has a clear mandate to scrap the card. Why? So what? Because people are being released from slavery and the government doesn't like that. Oh, my goodness. Get out. Okay, National Senator Matt Canavan said this. You're getting them addicted to free money that destroys their lives and creates a generational cycle of domestic violence and addiction. We have seen that. Decade after decade after decade. He says, we're at least trying. It's not perfect, but what's the alternative? And that's what I would like to know. Uh, this went. This was passed through when independent David Pocock, yep, let's call him out, voted with the government. Mm. Goes into effect October 4. Uh, and so, yeah, the cashless welfare card was 
fiercely defended by Indigenous Senator Jacinta Price, who is an Aboriginal Amazing. lady from the Northern Territory. Wow. She came out and she said uh, that, uh, uh, where is it? Those wanting to abolish the card couldn't comprehend what it was like to constantly have your income demanded from you by addicted relatives. Mm. That's what she said. Wow. Giving a cultural perspective on it that we don't understand because for white Australians, we're not typically going to be pestered by relatives for free money. That's right. Because we don't have that culture of everybody owns everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And and she's somebody who grew up there. She lives in these communities. She's lived her entire life in these communities. She gets it. Yeah. She's Indigenous. Listen to the person from there rather than the person who spent their entire life living in the centre of Sydney or Melbourne. That's right. Or Canberra. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, Senator Linda Reynolds said scaling back the card would have devastating consequences in the communities where it is currently in place. It will be more grog, it will be more violence, it will be more rapes, it will be more abuse, it will be more child neglect, it will be more murder, it will be more death. You cannot say you were not warned, you cannot say you did not know, and yet you continue to push this based on blind ideology. Shame on you all. Mm. Well, we know that's going to be the result because we have seen the result before and after. And uh, to go back to the before, how could it be any different? I I have a big question. Like, okay, they said that it's the government's mandate to abolish the card. But again, for what reason? For what reason? (sighs) Okay, so it's ideologically driven because it's seen as being racist because it mostly affects Indigenous people. In a positive way. Most of the people who are on this card are Indigenous Australians Uh and say that's the ideology that is driving. Yeah, in a positive way. Absolutely. In a very positive way. So it's racist to help these people. Okay, so what this is, when it all boils down, is the government trying to keep these people enslaved. Wow. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah, we that's, should. That's what we it is. should give everyone opportunity to throw their lives. They away. know wow. how to enslave the population and to keep that population out of. This is the most. This is the most racist thing I've ever seen a, a government do. Yeah, it's just like if you keep that population suppressed. Yeah, then we don't have to worry about. This them. is like akin to like Jim Crow laws. Essentially, it is. It is like limit the potential for these these populations of people to actually be able to have positive change in their life. Okay, so I'm 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 a well-known supporter of prohibition, always mm-hmm. have been. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out a couple of things that I've pointed out in the past and I'm going to point them out again because I think they are worth considering. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people speak against prohibition like, "Oh, it doesn't work. We need to legalize drugs." I mean, look what they're doing down in Victoria. They're going to legalize legalize drugs and all this kind of stuff and and this will create a better society somehow. Uh, no, it won't create a better society if you look at prohibition in the United States when they banned hard alcohol. They didn't mm-hmm. ban alcohol, just hard alcohol. Mm-hmm. Domestic abuse decreased by 82%. Drunkenness decreased by 55.3%. Assault decreased by 53.1%. Homelessness went down by 52.8%. Disorderly conduct went down by 51.5%. Juvenile delinquency went down by 50%. Deaths due to cirrhosis decreased by 50%. The number of inmates in jails and prisons decreased by 75%, with many correctional institutions being closed entirely. Uh, General domestic 
domestic uh, complaints decreased by two-thirds. Uh, county hospital death rates were historically low. Prostitution decreased. The national crime rate, excluding Chicago, declined by 38%. In Chicago, it declined by 25%. Uh, savings accounts tripled. Demand for services at welfare missions decreased by half. Insurance policies, the number of insurance policies written doubled. Real estate values increased dramatically due to home improvements. Families became better clothed, factory job attendance and job performance greatly increased. That was the result of prohibition that so many people look at and say, oh, it never works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the problem is that history is written by the winners. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is The Breakfast Show. You're listening to Double L Team this morning, Lyle and Lawson. We are about to go to interview of the day. Before we do, we have another question for our quiz. Let's see if you can answer this one. All right, this is a revelation question right here. What did the four living creatures give the seven angels that were filled with the wrath of God? 0491-064-669, our prizes for this week, which will be drawn on Friday. Keywords for the Christian faith, I have a future and he comes by Rainer Bruinsma. You can win it if you answer these questions correctly and call us or text us about it on 0491-064-669. But again, that question was, what did the four living creatures give the seven angels that were filled with the wrath of God? 491 Nine. Okay, well, joining us on the phone this morning because it is Wednesday and uh, she's always here on a Wednesday is Jennifer Skews. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's coming uh, up here. I hear you're a bit raining down there. We had uh, you have to you have to hear this story, Jennifer. As we were driving into work this morning, producer Shell and I were driving into work, and out our left window we had the most spectacular sunrise you have ever seen and out our right-hand window we had a triple rainbow in sunrise colours. I've never seen a triple rainbow. I've had lots of doubles and full ones but not a triple. It wasn't a full triple. It was a full double um, and the the triple was there at either end. But just for our listeners, just picture this. You've got those golden red sunrise colours with a rainbow on the other side. It was just like, do I look out the left left, left window? Oh, that's pretty. Oh, I look out the right window. That's amazing. It was spectacular. God blessed you this morning, didn't he, with a beautiful rainbow. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. What are we talking about today, Jennifer? Um, we did sort of mention a topic last week. I started talking about the brain and uh, addictions, and particularly with alcohol. And so I will continue that theme because I have had a request for it. Um, and it is important because I'm going to ask you some questions. Did you know that we're all addicts by nature? Right. Okay. That's not one of us that isn't an addict of some sort. Well, I'm just sort of sitting here swallowing that and thinking, no, no, surely not. <laughs> it's usually a bit of a shocker for most people because yep. it's, it's understanding. So what is an addiction? It doesn't right. mean everyone you know, is addicted to alcohol or cigarettes or you know, they're highly addictive substances, but... What is an addiction? This is actually something we really do need to know about this morning. We just covered a fairly heavy story. I don't know whether you caught it or not just before you came on uh, about addictions and about different ways that the government is trying to tackle addictions. And, well, not you know, government actually at the moment is trying not to tackle addictions, but um, 
we would like them to. So, but yeah, yeah, help us to understand what's going on here. So we are all we all have an, an addictive personality. We do, and this is like if you look at it from a Christian perspective, it's the fallen nature, it's that sin nature that when um, you know, Adam and Eve fell and sin was introduced, that is part of it because it is one of the tools used to discourage us to certainly interfere with brain function because it is to do with the brain. So anything that distracts us, and an addiction is a distraction, anything that we the desire overtakes the need. Do I need it or am I desiring it? I mean, how many food is a classic? How many people are addicted to certain foods? And it, once you start, you can't stop. You keep doing it. You know, there are lots of things we do. So we can look at the range of addiction. It also becomes repetitive. We have to keep doing it. It's very persistent and it's very intense. It overtakes emotionally. Um, and the desire can go higher and higher. And it overrides, in many cases, but not all, it overrides the will or our self-control. So, you know, I get people that say, oh, I just can't stop. I just love it so much. So do you think we can become addicted to healthy things? Yes. <laughs> not a good question. Yes, I guess, I guess you can. But is, <laughs> is too much health a bad thing? Um, well, if it's obsessed with one particular health factor, I know of someone who loved carrots and couldn't stop eating the carotene, a really yellow skin. But it's not good to have anything. So this then comes back to the temple, of, the, the principle of temperance, uh, yes. where it is <laughs> abstinence of abstinence from things which are just plain straight bad and moderation of things that are good. Yes. Absolutely. So if we can't do that, if we can't abstain from things that are really not good for us at all, and alcohol is one, and tobacco is another one, but alcohol certainly, because every time we if you drink, it kills brain cells, it, it pickles the liver literally, it turns to vinegar in the system, so it does major damage. So some things are more harmful than others, but it's anything that we become obsessed with becomes an addiction. You know, have a look at artists and creative people, particularly like painters and people like that, they, they just obsess themselves with it and sometimes they don't eat, they don't drink, they just paint, paint or create things. So it comes back to anything we can get addicted to. Um, if you have a look in people's shopping trolleys, I can tell you what they're addicted to. <laughs> it's uh, not rocket science. So with some of these really nasty addictions like, say, for instance, gambling or pornography, that you're not actually taking a substance into your body. You're not. Are we okay. getting addicted to the dopamine? Is that what is happening there, the natural drugs within our body? And well, with other addictions, if I could just follow that question on a little bit here, yeah. say, for instance, an alcohol addiction, clearly we are taking a drug into our body with alcohol, but what is more powerful in that one? Is it the dopamine hit or is it the actual alcohol or the combination of the two? Well, with alcohol, it's alcohol is like an anaesthetic and people who... Um, pick up alcohol and use it. There's two factors. One is um, someone who drinks or abuses alcohol because they've had a lot of trauma in their life, life is too hard for them. That first drink, the brain is euphoric. They love it, so they keep doing it. And the more you do it, the less it helps you, and you've got to have more and more and more. You become habituated. Now, some people can stop because the addiction is driven by their emotional 
um, issues or needs and they use it for that purpose to, to blank out or to escape life, whereas someone else, which we did mention last week, who has what we call the disease model, um, and this applies to other addictions, I believe gambling, this, this model can kick in where there's a particular substance in the brain um, I can't pronounce the full, uh, it's a tetrahydroisoquinoline, I think it's called, T-H-I-Q. And in someone who has this uh, genetic predisposition, it gets, they, they get a build-up of this substance in the brain and it's highly addictive and apparently it's like morphine. So the alcohol combines and triggers that chemical that adds that uh, morphine-like effect as well. So the alcohol becomes so desirable that in the end they can't stop. The brain, it's like a barometer where this substance builds and builds like a mercury thermometer and it finally bursts, bursts out and then the person, they say they can't stop. They'll drink anything and that's when um, the only way you can stop them is to lock them up and take the key away, literally. Right. Um, it's yeah. hard to stop. When you're in any addiction, it's hard to stop. Yes. And so, okay, so let me just ask a, a question then because this comes back to, you know, some of the political issues that we're facing here in Australia right now and that revolves around prohibition. If we restrict access yes. to some of these harmful substances, does that work for people who are trying to overcome addictions? No, not usually because they'll find a way of doing it. They'll do something. Um, yeah, and that thing, you know, locking the person up and throwing the kid away is an example of they cannot stop. Once you leave them to their own devices, they will drink themselves to death. And it's the most horrible slow death you can imagine. It's awful. So, and I have seen, because I've worked with people in, in the addictions field, and uh, I have seen people that come to me and then the last stages of what we call alcohol poisoning, and it's an awful way to go. So, it's to help people combat it, it is compatible with that particular disease model. If you don't drink, it doesn't activate it. So that's the only cure is not to drink. Sure. Um, and people can if you help them and re-educate them and they've got to have the motivation. Um, and I find that there are people that I've worked with who've done wonderful recoveries and they have put a lot of other things in the place of alcohol to give their life meaning, um, positive things. Sure. We can become addicted to things like gardening, um, chewing your fingernails, um, all sorts of things. You have a look, hair pulling, there's all sorts of things we become addicted to. Some of them healthy, some of them not so healthy. But anything that takes over your life and distracts you from certainly your spiritual life or your self-care and you cannot control is addictive. We've, we've, we've talked with other people on this program from time to time and, you know, when they're talking about addictions and so forth, they've mentioned, you know, the 12-step program or whatever it might be. And one of the things that they've pointed out is that none of these programs that are available to combat addictions will work without a spiritual element. Yes, and this is why the 12-step program can work because it has that spiritual element. And I don't know if you're familiar with the 12-step program, but the first step is one, I have no control over my addiction, whatever it is. I cannot control it. It controls me. The second one that is we have a God of love, some refer to the higher power, um, and that God of love will help us. And then the third step is to hand our power over to that, that to, to God and allow ourselves to 
um, be powered by him and that's the only way we can do it. So when, and I have met people who've not had any spiritual insight at all and they've gone along to 12 steps and they've done that and had built faith and they have recovered. So definitely, and that is the most successful program when they embrace the 12 steps because there's different types of AA meetings. But the 12-step program is the key because of the spiritual element is based on the biblical model. That was its origin. Yes, yes. And it's interesting, yes. you know, when you take a 12-step program and take out the, the spiritual element, how, you know, because you know, secular organisations have tried to do that from time to time and then they just get no results whatsoever at all. Yeah, yeah. So it comes back to what you believe this higher power is. But initially it was God. If you go back to the original writings, of, yes. um, it, it was the minister, like a Methodist minister or one of the ministers in the UK who developed the program based on a biblical model and then it's been modified, but when you modify it like that and you take God out the equation, it's not going to work. And as far as I understand, every single rehab program in existence traces its historical roots back to Christianity at some point. Yes, it does. And and that to me is a powerful statement in favour of Christianity. I mean, Christianity cops a lot of flack these days, and rightfully so, because Babylon has truly fallen. But um, and there's a lot, tremendous amount of corruption out there. But you know, when we look back on Christianity historically and see some of the amazing good things that it's done to the world, would rehab and the concept of rehab even exist if it wasn't for Christianity? Right, and with that, it's. A relationship with God, which people struggle with, it's not about a church, it's not about religion, it's about personal relationship where we allow God into our life and our heart and our mind and let it give him the power to direct us and then we will overcome any addiction. So it's that personal relationship that we need. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, it's, 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 it's powerful stuff. I mean, the, the, the whole concept of recognising that we are a sinner in need of a saviour, that's really what it all comes back down to, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We're broken human um, beings that yeah. um, are in need of, a, of, of, of Jesus Christ in our life. We are, and we have to recognise our brokenness, and that's hard because I know I was brought up with empowerment. You know, you can do it. Don't let anyone beat you don't you know you stand up to them and uh, you take over you know I was taught to take control now I've had to learn to hand my control over so we've been programmed now we've got to be reprogrammed and the good news is you can reprogram the brain and that's what I do neuroplasticity I help people put in a program and get off the old one and put in a new one right The interesting thing was that when you do change the program, it could be any bad habit at all, and you put in the new habit and you keep doing it and it becomes second nature, you keep, you repeat it and it goes autopilot, but that old habit will be housed in the outer part of the brain. So it never fully leaves the system, not unless you destroy the brain tissue, um, and that means it can be resurrected. So if we're really tired, we're worn down, we're emotionally struggling when more we can go back to an old habit and it will pick up very quickly but then we've got to put it back where it belongs so and i see this is you know our fallen nature our sin nature that it is still in the brain but we don't have to use it right yes absolutely and mm. you know and, and and one of the i just love the way that you talk about you know the ability that we have by the power of god's grace to be able to rewire the brain and absolutely to overcome through the power of God that sinful, fallen human nature. 
Yes. And, and so when we're talking about addictive personality, really what we're talking about is a, is a fallen yeah. human nature. Oh, it is. And if we, we might translate it to, oh, they've got an addictive personality. We all have. If you're, you're not coping well and someone gives you something that gives you relief, you'll keep doing it. Mm. It's our nature. We don't want to suffer. But sometimes we have to accept suffering and go this path and, and work through it, which is, again, the sort of work I do to help people. And, you know, certainly it's a spiritual path to get yes. back. Yeah, and I find um, that people who have faith and the praying people uh, have success in this than if they don't do that and they don't believe anything. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.